I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few years ago, our family took a vacation. We rented a condo that overlooked this beautiful bay. Um, it was off-season, and as we also found out, it was rainy season. Uh, so we had the place mostly to ourselves. Our condo was situated alongside others, and we could look left and right to neighbors' terraces, many of which were unoccupied. There were bird feeders hanging over each condo, right, over each porch, and here's the amazing thing. The bird feeders that didn't have any bird seed in them didn't have any birds. The bird, seed, bird feeders that had bird seed in them attracted lots of birds. Now I know you're thinking, wow, no razor sharp insight, you are one right clergyman. But the moral of the story, the birds went where they were fed. And since as a preacher man, everything is fair game for sermons, I thought that principle held true for people in their own spiritual journeys, in their spiritual communities. People go where they're fed. Something to think about as we consider the state of the church in our culture. So what I want to ask this morning is where are you fed? Where do you find nourishment? What hungers do you bring to your life? Do you bring in the sacred space this morning? How are those hungers being satisfied? My hope is, of course, that whatever time you spend here at St. James, you'll find nourishment in one way or another, as I have found nourishment in this place from near and far over the past decades. So think specifically about how your spirit, your heart, your sense of self, your faith, is being fed these days, especially as we contend with continued curveballs related to COVID. These questions about being fed are woven throughout Scripture from the start to the finish. We've heard one in John's Gospel. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about how we're fed, beginning with God instructing Adam and Eve about the fruits of the earth that were there for their nourishment. And then the serpent shows up and markets forbidden apple, a story offering holy instructions on what food is life-giving and what food is not life-giving. Fast forward to the end of the Bible where heaven is described as a banquet of feast. In between, there are all kinds of stories about what it means to be fed. The children of Israel, as we heard in that beautiful psalm, are fed with manna from heaven. Later, the prophet Elijah finds himself out in the desert feeling desperately sorry for himself. And what does God do? God prepares him a meal. And then he also says, go have a nap, which I think is also always a good bit of advice when you're stressed out. Go have a meal and have a nap. Even later, when the people of Israel have almost given, hope, given up hope in exile, the prophet Isaiah issues a word of comfort, predicting this heavenly feast on God's holy mountain. Feast of rich food. In the Gospels, Jesus' parables often talk about banquets. After Easter, he meets his disciples in risen state. They know him because they share a meal with him. Jesus even cooks breakfast for them on the beach. But perhaps the most important story in the Gospels about being fed is the basis for the Gospel we hear this, heard this morning and will hear in coming weeks. The miracle is described in each of the Gospels, which lets us know it's important, worth paying attention to. 
And it's told at length in John's Gospel with lots of interpretation about what the miracle really is all about. So with that, let me ask a couple of questions this morning. First, again, what hunger do you bring to life more specifically to worship this morning? Let me start by saying that while some of us have never had to miss a meal, real hunger exists nearby and far away, empty stomachs in a city where more than a half, one and a half million people struggle with food insecurity, in a world where we have enough food to feed all seven billion people if we have no problem, but where around 10% of them go, go to bed hungry each night. That is a specific, physical, hands-on challenge that Jesus calls us to address one which provides opportunity to meet him with the promise that when we feed those in physical need, when we feed those who are hungry for food, we are actually fed spiritually. That's a mystery, that's a paradox that the parish embraces, that this parish embraces through its very commitments to mission. The hunger is real, the deepest hunger may be in our spirits. Mother Teresa, who knew a lot about extreme poverty, said that there is more hunger for love and appreciation in this world than for bread. Augustine spoke about a God-shaped space inside each one of us. Our hearts restless until we find our rest in God. A wonderful English holy woman never been under a hill about a century ago regarded the church in England with concern she sensed the clergy of her day were not addressing the spiritual hunger, spiritual hunger at the times. She wrote to the Archbishop of Canterbury a letter and said that for the renewal of the church, clergy would need to focus on where they are fed in their own spirits. She then went on to make this observation of this. <laughs> she said, God is the interesting thing about religion, and people are hungry for God. And I can't help but wonder when I reflect on that letter. What led her to inform the Archbishop of Canterbury that God was the interesting thing about religion? Why did he need a reminder that people were hungry for God? What would she say about the times in which we live? It's my privilege uh, to work with many congregations in the Episcopal Church gathering daddy data on the spiritual lives of folks in these churches. And what we're finding is just a huge amount of hunger for a deeper spiritual life, to know God better, to love God more deeply, to really love neighbor as self. And as we come out of COVID, as we grapple with new concerns about the varied forms of the virus, we have been put in touch with all kinds of hungers, hungers for community, hunger to be able to gather like this, I missed it. Hunger for any kind of interaction besides Zoom. Hunger for help for ourselves and those we love. Hunger for freedom and fear. Hunger to understand what's happening in our world. Which leads to my second question, how do we address the hunger that we feel that we being fed? If you're like me, sometimes we go for spiritual junk food, trying to draw sustenance from resources that won't ultimately satisfy us. One of the Desert Fathers 
early in the days of the church told his followers, do not give your heart to that which does not satisfy your heart. Do not give your heart to that which does not satisfy your heart. And I bet you can think of ways that we try to fill that God-shaped space with all kinds of things, possessions and titles and success and work and activity and exercise and sports and games and things that are all well and good, but may not ultimately satisfy. So in today's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples and us, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life. Which leads to my third question, what is that food? How does Jesus exactly address our hunger? He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. What does he mean by that? My own reflection on that question took me back to the prologue, the beginning of the Gospel of John, where we read that Jesus, the Word made flesh, was sent full of grace and truth. And I suspect grace and truth are two things that we all starve for in one way or another. In a season when airwaves across the political spectrum speak of fake news, alternative facts, big lies, I sense people hunger for truth. Our Christian faith brings it close to home. It calls us to begin with the rigorous truth about ourselves, that we don't always get it right, that we mess up, that we have not loved God with whole heart, soul, or mind, that we have not loved neighbor as self. But along with that truth is the glorious saving truth that in spite of it all, we are each and all on the receiving end of God's love from which we can never, never be separated. And who isn't hungry for that? Perhaps the most fundamental hunger we experience is for that kind of love, perfect love that casts out fear. Perhaps we're hankering for forgiveness and for the ability to forgive, hunger pangs for the freedom that comes with that kind of acceptance, truth and grace, as the psalmist issued an invitation, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I don't know if any of you watch The Daily Show, um, but its host, Trevor Noah, has written a book called Born a Crime. It's about growing up in South Africa as apartheid was falling apart. It's charmingly funny, as he is, and unspeakably sad. And in the book, he talks about a brief stint he had at a school, at a stu as a student at a Catholic school. And because he was not Catholic, he was not able to take communion. As an audacious child with a big appetite, he would have none of that. So one morning before Mass, he stole into the church and he ate all the bread and ate all the wine, right? Which led him uh, directly to the principal's office uh, where he was summarily kicked out of school and where the principal laid into him and, he, and the principal said this, what kind of sick person would eat all of Jesus's body? Trevor responded, a hungry person. And I thought when I read that, you and me both, kid. As we move through the sixth chapter of John in coming weeks, I invite you to consider the hunger you bring. Where are you nourished? Where are you being fed in body, mind, and spirit? To what extent are you giving your heart to those things which will not satisfy your heart? 
as we gather for worship in the beauty of holiness. Thanks be to God for the one who comes to us with grace and truth in abundance, multiplying provision, provision for us as he says, I am the bread of life in this Holy Eucharist. It's so nice to be back gathering in this way as we are fed by the word, as we come with, out, with outstretched hand to receive blessed bread. May we feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Amen. <clears throat>